Welcome to the weekly sermon from Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Hale. Today is the first Sunday of December. It's the first Sunday of Advent. Advent, yeah. Uh, Advent is those 24 days that, uh, between December 1st and Christmas. And we're kicking things off with a brand new series today called The Great Adventure. See, see what I... Right? Amen. You can't buy that kind of cleverness. Come on. That's, that's as good as it gets. I'm sorry about that. Um, uh, but anyway, but this is going to take us from now to the end of the year. Uh, we're going to be focusing on the four traditional themes of Advent, which are hope, joy, Jesus, peace, well, hope, joy, peace, and love. And then at the end of the year, uh, on, on New Year's Eve, we're going to have a big uh, all-generation celebration. We're going to celebrate Jesus, right? But the four traditional themes of Advent are right here, hope, joy, peace, and love. Now, just a couple of words about Advent, because I know Advent's kind of, it's kind of one of those things that not everybody pays uh, much attention to, and some people do, and that's okay. That's totally okay. Um, it's not like there's not a scripture that says, thou shalt celebrate Advent or anything like that. Uh, but let me just tell you for, a, for a, a minute or two why I have come, me and my family have come, to find it so valuable uh, to, to focus not just on the Christmas holiday itself and all the you know, kind of craziness uh, that Christmas is really turned into in our culture especially, but to intentionally slow down, to slow down for a second, um, and, and fully enter this anticipatory season of Advent. Advent's this, this bridge, you know, it's kind of a bridge between Thanksgiving and Christmas. This, this time between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and it can be all about uh, just getting everything ready, getting the lights up, getting the tree up, getting the presents bought, and that kind of stuff. But there are some benefits for the soul uh, to, to Advent. One, one thing is that Advent is about anticipation. Advent's about anticipation. Now, anticipation is something that every little kid understands and has no problem with. Right? If you have a child who understands that Christmas is coming, uh, it, you know, they anticipate Christmas morning with everything they've got. But very often, we confuse anticipation with imp- impatience. And uh, we're, we're just basically filled with impatience for the, for the thing, for the day. You know, give me the thing, give me the day. Uh, what Advent kind of forces us to do is sort of embrace the anticipation itself. And for us also as Christians, it's about remembering the world 2,000 years ago, back when it longed for the birth of Christ. Can you imagine that? I remember 2,000 years ago, all of creation longed for this, the anticipation and desperation for all of creation for the birth of a Savior. Um, And it's also about our own anticipation, our own desperation for the second coming of Christ. Amen? The, the word Advent, it literally means coming. It means, you know, the, the, the coming or the arrival. So it's, a, it's about our anticipation of the second coming of Christ by reflecting on his first coming. And so, you know, when you think about it, central to being a Christian, a follower of Christ, is believing that Christ has come and he's coming again. I mean, you could, you could boil it all down. You know, what, what are you Christians about? It's the good news. Christ has come. And he's coming again. 
I mean, that's what we're about. And, and one of the ways, you know, we even describe, you hear us sometimes in the churchy world, talk about the kingdom of God, which is how Jesus talked about this new revolution, this system that, that he brought in. One of the ways that we describe it is the kingdom of God is, is already and it's not yet. Have you heard that before? It's already and it's not yet. Jesus came and he said, the kingdom is now. It's already here. It's in front of you. It's walking in front of you. Here it is. The kingdom is already here. And yet we see the pain, the suffering that's all around us that makes it very obvious that the kingdom is not yet fully realized in the world, is it? But it's already here, but it's not yet fully realized. This is a great description of Advent kind of the season of already and not yet. We, we celebrate, we're going to celebrate his birth on Christmas, but we long for the second coming that we know is still to come. So that's what that's about, anticipation. The second thing Advent is about is preparation. Preparation. This is, this is something that is often skipped uh, in our excitement towards looking towards Christmas. And I'm not talking about preparation as in hanging those lights, you know, on the outside of your garage and, you know, and getting the tree up. We have a responsibility as Christians living in this time and place that we live in. You know, Christians at every time throughout human history and every part of the world, they kind of have their own uh, burden, their own responsibility that has been given to them. Here's what ours is not really... We don't really have to worry about the government, you know, like dragging us out into the street and killing us for worshiping Jesus, do we? But we do have a responsibility. We live in the belly of one of the wealthiest, consumeristic, media-driven cultures on the planet and of all times. I mean, is that safe to say? We live in that. That's where we... That's, that's what you drew, right? Congratulations. That's where you live. And so we have a responsibility to not buy into everything that the culture tries to sell us when it comes to, Christ, when it comes to Christmas. Um, we have a responsibility to stop and be the light to the world. We want to be a light to the world, to show them a better way, to tell a better story. We talk a lot about that. We want to tell a better story than the world tells. And, and that begins with our hearts being prepared I think it's so cool that one of the most famous Christmas carols that we sing, Joy to the World, what's the line? Let every heart, there you go, let every heart prepare him room. Do we do that? Do we spend this time leading up to Christmas, do we, are we preparing him room in our hearts? Far too many of us don't prepare room in our holiday for the one whose birthday the holiday is about. We want to prepare. So Advent is kind of a, a great way. I have found, just in, in my personal life, in my family's life, we prepare ourselves. And it turns out we can do things differently. We, can, we don't have to succumb to the, the same old, lifeless, stress-filled, Santa-driven, Amazon, Black Monday, whatever it's called, story you know, that we, that we are told. We don't have to succumb to that. We can actually be a part of telling a better story. Because really, we have the best story of all to tell, don't we? I mean, we have the winner of all stories. Not only is it world-changing and life-changing and amazing and inspiring, it's true. Amen. Right? It's not a Pixar movie. It is, um, it's true, right? The Savior of the world. The coming of Jesus truly changes everything. His arrival means we don't have to experience life anymore without real hope, real joy, real peace, real love. 
We get to experience that. That is a great story. So how do we do it? There's a number of different ways that we can, we can do that in a practical way. For some of us, it's about deciding to spend a little less on things that don't really matter, on that ugly tie for Uncle Bob, and maybe we're going to take Uncle Bob to lunch, you know, and spend some energy on actual relationship with the people in our life. For other people, it might be about spending less on presents altogether and giving more towards things that matter. Uh, We've done this in our family before, our our extended family, gotten together and said, hey, instead of us buying each other that thing that, you know, we really don't need, what if we go in together and support an orphan for this, this Christmas season, you know, or something like that. There's a way we can do that. Uh, in two weeks, in fact, on December 17th, we're going uh, to all have an opportunity to do something like this. We're going to have our annual Christmas offering for Jesus, which is a beautiful opportunity. We do it every year. We invite everyone to give towards the one whose birthday it is. And what does he want most? What does he care about most? Why don't we give towards that? And we're going to get to, we're going to, we're going to build churches all around the world. We're going to get to help people get to know Jesus all around the world in our giving. So that's going to be coming up. That's a way we can enter into this. Jesus says, and again, it's his birthday. He says, when you give to the least of these, you give to me. So I think about that every Christmas. I want to give Jesus, what do you want for Christmas, Jesus? He says, well, give to the least of these. That's a beautiful way. Something else we've done, we've also put in your bulletin, uh, there's some daily Bible readings that uh, are, are in your bulletin. They're also on the website. You can go to the website and find those uh, that you and your family can read together. They can also be sort of a jumping off point f- for your own personal daily devotion. Um, and the purpose is really just, they're just a, a couple of scriptures every day. And the purpose is to help keep you centered on the real reason for the season during this Advent season. And here's what I believe. I really believe this. Um, if you and I actually buy into the story that God wants to tell rather than the story that the world wants to sell us, uh, I think, number one, you, will, you can be a greater blessing to the people all around you, right? You, you can be more than just the, the person who's in somebody's way in line, you know, at Target. You can be a blessing to the world around you. You can also, I think, enjoy God's hope his joy, his peace, and his love in your own life in a, in a new and wonderful way. And, and this, this season can go from being one of just great anxiety to being one of great adventure. Amen? Amen. So that's what we want to do. So today, we're going to kick things off by talking about something that the world is desperate for right now, especially now more than ever, including you and I. We are all desperate for this, and that is hope. We're talking about hope. Now, moment of, of uh, super, super duper honesty here. Growing up, I didn't really understand hope that much. I don't know if you, if you were like this, but I, I grew up, you know, in, in, I grew up in this church, and, and before this church began, I grew up in another church that was a similar kind of a church. I've grown up in these uh, faith-filled church, and when you grow up in a faith-filled church, at, at least as a kid, um, hope always seemed kind of weird, like, like the weak version of faith. I don't know about you. Is that just me? Am I just weird? Hope was always like faith's little, uh, lazy little brother. You know, the little brother that like calls you every year to ask for money? That guy? The one in your family? No? Okay. Um, that was hope. You know, like faith. Yes. And then there's like, <laughs> hope. Um, 
It, it turns out hope is, is really cool. Hope is something very different. It's actually something very solid. I've been thinking about it like this lately, that hope is like the wall to which I attach my faith. Um, I can't have faith for things that I first don't hope for. I can't have faith for that thing. Hope has to be there first. Hope, first. hope, hope is an expectation. You might think of it like this. I, this is how I've, I've been kind of coming up with this. Maybe, let's say you're facing something that has two possible outcomes. You've got your hopes. You've got the one thing that you hope happens, right? Oh, you hope this happens. This is what you hope happened. You've got, it has two outcomes, but also the thing that you fear might happen. You have your hopes and you have your fears, right? Um, And our decision to believe in either our hopes or our fears is actually where we place our faith, right? What is the difference from us being a, a fearful person or a hopeful person? It's where you put your faith. Believe me, your faith is an incredible, powerful thing wherever you want to put it. Your faith will work. And if you put it in your fears, it'll work, right? So that's why hope is incredibly important. I can place my faith in my, my fears or my hopes. And the more I find that I choose to follow Jesus, the more that hope is where I place my faith. The more I find myself placing it on the side of hope because I'm following Jesus. I'm thinking his kind of thoughts. I'm walking in his ways. And it turns out hope is really important to God too. Uh, in scripture, hope is often associated with a uh, searching especially in the Psalms. You, look a lot, you see a lot of talk. It'll, it'll use uh, uh, the themes of searching. He, uh, God commands us in Scripture that we are to be watchful for, and to, for His return. We're to be watchful and hopeful for His return. In fact, in fact Scripture tells us that it's only those who are watching and waiting for Him who will be ready when He returns. So we're supposed to be watchful for his... I was thinking, just, this just happened to me this weekend. My wife and I were, were out of town, and, and, uh, and we, we were at this place, and we were waiting some, for some friends of ours to arrive. How many of you yesterday were out yesterday morning and experienced uh, the great fog fest of 2017? It was a huge amount of like, this like, weird, deadly fog uh, that, that rolled through, at least out in central Texas. And uh, so we're out there, and we're, wait, we're on this front porch of this place, and we're waiting for our friends to arrive, and I have one of those stalker apps. I call it my stalker app. I can see where they are. So um, I don't even know if they know they're in my phone, but I can see where they are all the time. And uh, so, so we're like, you know, they're getting close. They're getting close. We're excited, and we're standing on the front porch. We're just waiting. Here they come. They're coming down the road with a long driveway, and they can't see us because the fog is rolled in. Now, I can't even see the road, but I can see them on my little stalker app, right? They're coming down the road. Here they come. Oh, they're going to turn in. And they keep driving. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And, and, and I'm texting, dude, you, you went too far. And so I see them. I go back to the app. And I, see, I see the little dot. And it starts, you know, it pings, and it starts coming back towards the driveway. Oh, okay, okay, good. They're coming back. They're coming back. And they get right to the driveway, and then I see it driving off again. <laughs> I was like, what the? Dude! 
it was it was excruciating, right? I'm 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 so excited, but they were coming and they just they kept missing it. They couldn't see, and so you know I'm like having to give them instructions. Finally, finally they they come up and and I see them start creeping up the driveway. Oh yeah, and they they emerge through the fog, and it's a great reunion, and it was wonderful. Um, I don't know what that has to do with anything, but anyway, you know we're watchful, we're waiting. Yeah, that's what it was. We're we're waiting, and they and they. <laughs> Otherwise, they wouldn't know where to go. Look at what it says in Matthew 24, 42. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. In verse 44. So you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. That's wild. I think, I think the hope of Advent uh, is expressed really well in the parable of the bridesmaids. Jesus tells the story. He tells a parable. That means it's a story he's made up to teach us a lesson. And he tells us a story about these bridemaid, bridesmaids um, who are anxiously awaiting the coming of the bridegroom. Um, you know, just kind of a note on the culture back then. So what would be happening is the bridegroom would be coming probably with the bride. That's kind of the thing. The bride's not really mentioned in this story because she's not, she's not pertinent to it. But here, here comes the, the bridegroom and the bridesmaids would be at the groom's house. They would have made everything all pretty and they're waiting and they're going to get there and then they're going to have a party with the couple, the happy couple. And so this is what's happening. And in Matthew 25, it says, the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus. He says, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids, big wedding, 10, who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. That's harsh. Five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra batteries. And when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Okay, so it's getting late at night. They're happy couple is still not back. Everybody's dozing off. Verse 6, at midnight they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom coming. They can see their lights coming over the hills. Here they come. Come out and meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up, prepared their lamps, and the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil. Our lamps have gone out. And the others replied, we don't have enough for all of this. Go to a shop and buy some for yourself. Verse 10, but while they were gone to buy oil uh, at the all-night oil shop, The bridegroom came, and then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. These these other bridesmaids were here. You're just coming off the street. I don't know who you are. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. So, so there's this profound joy at the, the arrival of the groom, uh, and yet there is a warning here of the need for preparation that echoes throughout this parable. And, and God, because he loves us so much, he's continually reminding us of this all the time, even in our holidays. He reminds us of this need for preparation, to remember what we're doing, to remember what our, our first love is and where our hope should be. Today, I want to take a look at a story uh, that's it's sort of part of the, the Christmas story. It's over in the book of Luke, chapter 2. And um, this idea of anticipation shows up in somebody. He actually plays a very minor role in the Christmas story. He's, he's not one of the main characters. He's not even really a cameo. He's kind of, he, he might be like an extra in the Christmas story. It's kind of even one of those scenes. It's not really even part of the Christmas scene, you know, like he's not part of the nativity set you have at home. This is a guy who shows up kind of when the credits are rolling of the story, like the after credit scene, the extra thing. Here's, here he is. In, in 
Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21, it says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. Okay, so this is baby Jesus. He's eight, eight days old. The name the angel had given before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. This is the custom of the day. So they're following the the Jewish custom. They walk into the temple and it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now notice what Simeon's been doing in this story. What has he been doing? He's been waiting, living in hope. This is Simeon. He's looking forward to the, the, the consolation of Israel. This, this means like the restoration of Israel, right? He's waiting for the time when the Messiah is going to come and set everything right in the world. No more injustice, no more deceit, you know, pain, violence, broken families, no more broken relationships. He's longing for this. He's waiting for this. He's been waiting his entire life for this moment. And it says here in some mysterious way that God revealed to Simeon by the Spirit that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. Now, Simeon, the scholars believe, is, is, is old, probably like in his 80s. And in this one moment, it, it, this one moment validates a lifetime of faith. All the pain and suffering, all the sacrifice, this is going to be the greatest moment of his life. This is what he's been waiting for. He's going to be one of the first, him and the, the shepherds, they're going to be one of the first to not just meet the Messiah, but to recognize Jesus for who he is. And remember, this is probably happening about two years before the, the wise men ever even got there. So Simeon is one of the first to recognize Jesus. In verse 27, it says, Moved by the Spirit, He went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He's like, I could die now, right? Literally. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Ooh, that's a pretty... Big clarification for this Jewish man. And the glory of your people, Israel. What a moment this must have been for Simeon. I love the language here in the, in the scripture. It says that Simeon took him in his arms, and the word it uses there means he's cradling him. He's holding this little baby boy. He, he doesn't do this with all the babies. His, this is a, something special. And if you, when you think about it, I mean, Simeon isn't just holding the future He's holding the Ancient of Days in his arms. He is holding eternity in his arms. God himself, the rock of ages, the one who existed before all of creation, is holding in his arms. This is a moment that that makes life worth living for Simeon, right? In verse 34, it says, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. I don't know if those were the words that Mary was looking forward to hearing, 
right then, but I bet you those words echoed in her memory years later as she's seeing her son hanging on a cross up there. Those, those words prophesied by an old man named Simeon. You know, one of the things, one of the reasons we don't like waiting, who likes waiting? But one of the reasons we don't like it is because it reminds us I'm not in control. Is that right? It's one of those times you were not in control. If you were in control, would you be waiting? Right? It's, it's, it reminds you I'm not in control. I can't do anything uh, about these obstacles that are keeping me from getting where I want to be right now. Right? We celebrate this kingdom that is already here, but it is also we long for the not yet. We long for that. Go to any doctor's office. Anybody ever make an appointment? You made a 1 p.m. appointment, and you get there at 12.50, and you sign in, and they have a whole room devoted to the not yet, <laughs> right? They do. It's called the waiting room. They, even, they call it the waiting room. Nobody volunteers for the waiting room. Like, oh, I'm going to get there at 1.50, and I hope I get to spend some time in the waiting room. Uh, it's such a powerful place, right? The one person you never see in the waiting room is the doctor. <laughs> the one you're there to see. Have you ever heard a receptionist say, oh, you have a 1 p.m. appointment. Okay, it's almost here. You know what? Just do whatever you need to do. Uh, if you have some errands to run or some work you want to get done, do that. The doctor, whenever you're ready, the doctor will be ready for you waiting in the waiting room, Right? He's not the one in the waiting room. You are. That, never, that doesn't happen. That's a dream world. If you get on I-45 during rush hour, there are actual messages that appear now electronically that say, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Right? They have these messages that will pop up and say, from this point on, it will be another three days before you get downtown. <laughs> right? Oh, that's helpful. Thank you. Okay, three, three more days. Wouldn't it be great if we had like signs like that in real life? You know, it, something that popped up and said, from this point on, it will be six months before you meet that special someone in your life. From this point on, it will be three years before your children grow up. You know, from this point on, it will be 10 years before your spouse grows up. <laughs> Just so you know, you know, oh, okay, right? I, I'm all prepared. Here's the real problem. <laughs> here's, here's the real problem with, um, with waiting is that we, we don't know when now is going to come, and there's always that possibility now may never come. We may never hear the doctor will see you now. We, there's those times in our life. We may live in the not yet for the rest of our natural lives. And that could be particularly painful, in all honesty, right? When, when what the thing you're waiting on is, is um, finding someone, to, someone special to do life with. When you're waiting for that. And you don't have any guarantee that, you know, you're, you're going to find that person. Or if you're a couple, and what you're longing for is the gift of a child, right? Melissa and I have had several friends over the years that um, have tried to get pregnant. And the waiting, and the waiting and the waiting, and the frustration sets in, and they're not sure what to do or where to go. That could be painful. 
or maybe you're waiting for a job. You're just waiting for that job that'll finally allow you to pay your bills every month without stressing. Just that job that'll help me pay the bills, right? Or maybe you're waiting for when you finally can wake up in the morning not being in pain in your body. Or you can wake up in the morning and not feel depressed. Waiting for that is painful. Can we be honest about that? Waiting can be painful. Waiting isn't always full of excitement like it's Christmas Eve, right? Sometimes waiting feels like agony. And the danger is, for people who are now kind of people, the danger is when we get stuck in a time of not yet, uh, we're tempted to give up. That's the temptation, to stop believing, to stop waiting for his timing, to start putting our faith in our fears rather than our hopes. So the question is, how do we wait? That's what we want to know. How do we wait? What do you do? Do you just try to pass the time and do nothing, just twiddle your thumbs? Or is there something else that God might be doing in these circumstances? How are we supposed to wait? Here's something I believe is that I don't believe the Bible calls on Christians to wait passively. I don't believe waiting is about being passive. You know, someone said the, the best way to predict the future is to create it. The best way to predict the future is to create I think it was Abraham Lincoln. He's, the best way to predict the future is to create it. So if you don't like the circumstances you're in, I think God has given us, in many, circum, in, in many cases, he's given us the opportunity to change our circumstances. He's given us that ability in many cases. Uh, and if not that, at least to change ourselves in those circumstances. He's given us that opportunity. I don't believe Christians should be passive in life. I I see this a lot, and it frustrates me to no end. Christians who are passive in life in in the spirit of thinking, well, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And I believe what that is is fatalistic. You know, that's what they call it in the world. It's fatalism. It's just whatever will happen will happen. The universe will just throw at me what it wants to happen. Uh, I believe as a church... And as disciples, we should be proactive, proactive. Now, that doesn't mean we ignore God. It doesn't mean we just run out ahead of God and take matters, all the matters into our own hands. But it also means we don't just passively sit and wait for life to happen to us. That's not the answer. In Scripture, it does tell us to wait upon the Lord, uh, and it'll, He'll renew our strength. But you know what? A lot of Christians misunderstand this verse The word literally means that wait. The word literally means to look expectantly, not sit and wish. And that's what many of us have this idea of waiting or hoping is sitting and wishing. Looking expectantly is a very different thing. And what you see in the story of Simeon is someone who is not just sitting and wishing. He's waiting proactively, okay? Here's, an, here's another danger of, of waiting. In Galatians, it says this. It says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I love this phrase. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Have you heard this before? Uh, this is what Simeon is doing. Keeping in step with the Spirit. Back in Luke, in his story, in verse 27, it says, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. So in other words, he's keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. So, 
If some of us are just sitting and waiting for life to happen to us, here's, an, here's another pitfall a lot of us get into, is that we waste far too much anxiety wanting to leapfrog in one single step where God wants to take us in 5, 10, 15 years, right? We want, we want the shortcut to that. And what I've discovered in my experience, limited experience it is, but what I've discovered is that what we need to worry about most is what is the next right step. That is what God calls us to focus on. What is the next right step? And then the one after that, and then the one after that, and the one after that. That if we keep in lockstep with the Holy Spirit, ultimately, I'm telling you, God is going to get you where he wants to get you, where he wants you to go. That is a hope-driven life. That This moment in Simeon's life where he's, he's directed by the Holy Spirit, and this moment crosses paths with Mary and Joseph, and it sets up this prophetic moment in the life of Jesus. And here's something else. Keeping in step with the Holy Spirit might mean you take the long way around to where he wants you to go. It might not be the, the, the straight point from A to B that you're hoping for. But if we hang our hopes, if we hang our faith on our hopes and not our fears, we can be encouraged the whole time. We can be encouraged that Jesus himself is taking us there. Here's how Jesus describes it uh, in the book of John. Jesus says, the wind blows where it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is, where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This is how it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You don't always know where it's coming from. You don't always know where it's going. But you can be confident and trust the leading of the Spirit. I, I can't tell you the number of times in, in our life where I felt like, oh, we just need to take the, our itinerary in my, you know, my own hands I need to, in order to get where I want to get, when I want to get there. Uh, and the truth is, the, the path to getting where God wanted me required flowing with His timing and surrendering to his divine detours, right? Those divine detours can be frustrating when you don't know they're coming, but you look back and you go, I wouldn't want anything else to have happened, right? But we have to take that step. We have to take that step. God is so good at setting up divine appointments in our life. Those are the things you can't plan for, you know, you can make all your plans, and that's, that's good. I'm a firm believer in making plans. Make a list. But just know, leave room in there, because God is going to set up some divine appointments in my life, some divine detours, and I'm going to praise him for it. It's, it's something only he can do. And this right here is one of the most beautiful divine moments in Scripture. Simeon, look at, here, here's a man who's lived his entire 80 years of life or so, and God somewhere, sometime promised him that he wouldn't die until he saw the salvation of his people. He got this word from God, and he held on to it. If you've ever gotten a word from God, don't let that go. Hang on to that word. Was he ever tempted to let it go? I imagine so, right? I'm sure he was. Did he ever feel like giving up hope? Was he ever frustrated? Was he ever like, wow, why couldn't this happen when I was 40 or 50 or 60? Or, hey, how about 70? You know, right? I'm 80. But he waited in hope. He waited in hope, and in one dramatic moment, Simeon and Mary and Joseph and little Jesus cradled in his arms, they have this divine appointment. It changes all their lives. If, if ever you're frustrated, if ever you're, 
You're asking God, why isn't this happening yet? Why, why can't I get there? I feel like my dream is in this holding pattern. I understand that. I get that. I really do. My suggestion is keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. If you can keep in step with the Spirit, then step by step, God is ultimately going to get you where He wants you to go. And that's important. It might not be where you wanted to go, but He's going to get you where He wants you to go. It's probably not going to be by the path you anticipated, but He will get you there. Amen? Amen. There's, there's one more little tiny detail in the story I want to I point out. It's a little description of Simeon here, and it says it really fast. He's not only waiting, it says that he was righteous and devout. Some of your Bibles might say just and devout. Righteous and devout. That means he's a man of character, and he's a man who is trying to follow uh, God's laws, God's instructions. Now let me ask you, are those character traits that happen overnight? Not usually, right? This is usually uh, character traits that are cultivated over a lifetime. He had to be preparing his entire moment for this, his, his, his entire life for this moment. He prepared his entire life for this moment. And here's a hard truth. This is going to be the part that's sort of like, eh, but here it is. Sometimes God won't get you where you want to go because of his grace. Because he loves you, sometimes he won't take you where you want to go because of his grace. God knows this. If your capabilities take you further than your character, that can set you up for a catastrophe. If your capabilities take you further than the limits of your character, you're setting yourself up for a catastrophe. And God knows this. God knows this. And, and when this happens, what it should be a blessing becomes a curse. And I've seen this happen. And I've also seen the opposite happen. I've seen people waiting and waiting, and they took the long way around. And when it finally happened, when they finally happened, they realized, I'm so glad this didn't happen earlier in my life. I, I'm exhibit A right here standing in front of you. Because I was an idiot, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know how many times I've said, oh, I'm so glad that happened later in my life right? Because often we don't know. And what, would, what should have been a blessing can become a curse. This is, believe me, this is coming from somebody who, who's naturally a very impatient person, wanting everything now, right? Well, one of the things Mel and I um, have learned over the years is early on, earlier on, uh, there were things that we wanted to happen instantly. And now looking back, I wouldn't, want, I wouldn't have wanted anything to have happened faster than it did, in our life. Here's, here's something else I believe with all my heart, is that God is not so concerned about the external circumstances in your life as he is with the internal condition of your heart. And a lot of our prayers are about the external circumstances in our life. God's changed these external circumstances in my life, and God is so much more concerned what's happening in you than around you. He is intimately concerned with you. He intimately loves you. He is much more concerned with who you're becoming than where you're living. I'm amazed at, at you know, so many people's prayers when they, when they come and they ask, for, you know, they ask for us to believe with them about something like that. And they're, what they're pursuing God, what the, 
the direction they want God. You know, God, where am I supposed to go? Where am I supposed to live? Am I supposed to take this job or that job? Or do I live here in this city or that city? So many people's prayers are concerned with geography. And, and he's waiting for you to be as obsessed with your internal geography. Where are you in your relationship with him? That's what I think God wants us to be most obsessed with. The other things, you know, the Bible says he directs the path of the righteous. You can trust him to direct your path and show you the next right step to take. What city should I live in? Trust him. He'll direct your path, right? Why are, why are we not as concerned with our inner geography? Um, Ultimately, what is it that Jesus wants to do? We say it around here. What is Jesus wanting to do with us? He's wanting to make us more and more like him. He wants to make us more and more like Jesus, right? We, he, wants to, he wants people who reflect God's character. What you have here in the story of Simeon is someone who he walked in the ways of God, and in the process, he positioned himself for this divine moment in his life. Amen? Amen. I want to finish up with one last word of caution. I guess a warning. I'll be pastoral here for a second. We're talking about hope, how to have hope, how to live with hope, the power of hope. I want to tell you what one of the greatest enemies of your hope is. One of the greatest enemies of your hope is looking backward. This is just from experience, seeing friends and family and church members looking backwards. Simeon shows us, notice a person, uh, a picture of someone who is not obsessed with the past. He's not obsessed with the past. Simeon is looking toward the reconciliation of Israel, the arrival of the Messiah, right? If you're looking backwards, you aren't going to hear what God has to say to you. If that's where you live. And by looking backwards, I mean things like guilt and regret and bitterness. That's what I'm talking about. Guilt, regret, bitterness. Those things are backward-looking emotions. And if opportunity's right here, but you're just doing this all the time, urgh, you're, you're looking back here instead of what God has for you next. You're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. Right? That's not just a platitude. This is, this is truth. This is real life. If you're looking forward in your faith, looking forward, if you're attaching your, your faith to your hopes, not to your fears or your past, your regrets, you won't miss these divine appointments. The Apostle Paul says this. I love it. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, This one thing I do. What is it? Forgetting what is behind. Straining toward what is that that is an action picture of hope straining toward what is ahead i press on toward the goal to win the prize for which god has called me heavenward in christ jesus hope means believing that god's love is real for you despite your failings your weaknesses choosing hope means i'm going to choose to live life to the fullest that god intended for me not try to recapture something that somebody else stole. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after what God has for me. Here, here's something I've told, I've told a lot of people, one-on-one, 
and, and this is, I believe this with my whole heart, I believe Satan's greatest lie to you is this, that today is as good as it's ever going to get. I hate these words. As good as it gets. I hate those five words. To me, those are like right from hell. As good as it gets. That is one of Satan's greatest lies. Those five words have caused a thousand bad decisions from people who believe that. Well, today's as good as it's going to get. God's promise is that your best is yet to come. Amen? Satan says, don't get your hopes up. God says, I'm the God of miracles. Put your hope in me. Right? Satan says, hey, you might as well take what you can get. God says, don't settle for anything less than my best. Stop looking behind you. Stop looking back there. Walk in step with my spirit. That's what God is telling us. Amen? Do you know why some people are afraid of hope, I think? Because it, it's, it's risky. Hope makes you vulnerable to a thousand different outcomes in your life. It does. And that's just the truth. When you, but, but here's the truth also. When you make yourself vulnerable to God, he can start working miracles in your life. You've got to make yourself vulnerable to God, and he can work miracles in your life. Psalm 130 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. Right? This is, this is written by the, a writer who is not afraid to be vulnerable in his hope. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to trust that God has something. And Simeon has been waiting. He's been coming to the temple every day, all these years, waiting for the Messiah that God promised to send. And his ancestors have been living in the world of not yet for all those years. And in one moment, Simeon finds himself in the presence of God. By faith, Simeon's not yet turned into now. The Lord will see you now. The arrival of Jesus changes everything. And Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus turns our not yet into now. We have hope because he's already come and he's coming again. Amen? Amen. I want to do something. I want to, I want to ask you, if, there's, if you're here today and, and this has struck a chord with you, if you are here today and you have struggled with hope, you have been waiting for something, and you've been waiting for a while, and, and you are ready to attach your faith to your hopes and stop attaching them to your despair. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm just going to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. There's no magic up here. Just stand. I'm just asking you to stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. I just want to see who I'm praying for. If, if you're here today, and you, maybe you need hope. Maybe even as you're sitting there, you're like, I don't feel it yet. That's okay. If you're ready to start living in hope, to start attaching your faith to your hopes again, and you need the Lord to help you, you might need help. That's okay. He's here to help you. I want to pray for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, right now, Lord, I know there are those who are in circumstances that feel like they are dragging on and on. And maybe it's taken much longer than they ever thought it would or imagined that they're in a place they didn't even imagine they would be. Lord, I know the frustration that comes with that. 
Lord, I know that there are those whose hearts are broken just hearing some of these words spoken today because they hit really close to home. So right now, Lord, I invite your Holy Spirit to come upon us in a way, in a new, fresh way, Father God. Come on us like the way you came to Simeon. Flood our hearts with hope, Lord Jesus, because that's what sets us apart as as believers. You said that in this world we would have trouble, but we should take heart because you have overcome the world. Lord, I pray for those who are hurting, for those who are waiting, for those who are frustrated here today, that God, that you will show up right now in in their in their circumstances. You will flood their hearts with hope once again and that that hope would help us hang on and hang in there so that we can experience that same moment Simeon had, that divine moment. Oh, help us to keep in step with your spirit, Father God. Help us to cultivate your character. Help us to be free from our past and our regrets and our pain so that we are ready for that divine moment when it comes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, hallelujah. Can we give the Lord a praise right now and just thank him? Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. He is so good. I believe, I believe that if you, if you prayed that in faith, that God is going to be with you, that the Holy Spirit right now is ministering to your heart, that today can be different, This today can be a new trajectory for you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit gchurch.net for more information about this podcast and other resources.